depression, anxiety, talk about it with me. Strange dreams, same page, safe place, therapy is great, and this ain't the same. But we're crying behind sunglasses anyway. Crying behind sunglasses. Hey, 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 Sonnies. I'm Katie Tall, and this is Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. And by cool people, I mean like, yeah, you've got issues, I've got issues, but let's just talk about it. Let's get weird. This podcast is not meant to be substitute for therapy or medical advice. Shockingly, I know you thought you may have tuned into the WebMD podcast, but I am not a doctor. I'm just a person who is very passionate about your mental health. And this is purely to make you feel less alone and maybe make you laugh a little. Anyway, how am I feeling today? How am I? I gotta be honest, I feel a little bit upside down between the fires that have been happening in LA and me moving really soon to a new house and RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, passing away. I just, I, I can't help but feeling a little bit lost. I mean, RBG was an advocate for women, disenfranchised people, and basically anybody who didn't have a voice in our society. And it is a great loss, but at the same time, such a gift that we were able to have her. And I think her passing away before the election obviously is not ideal, but I also think it is our job now to carry on her legacy by continuing to fight. So please go vote, go register to vote because that is what she would have wanted. Anyway, This is not a political podcast. Obviously, we're here to laugh. We're here to talk about anxiety, depression, etc. So on that note, we have a private Facebook support group, facebook.com slash group slash crying behind pods. Really great supportive community. Uh, We also have our Instagram and Twitter at crying behind pod. And after the episode, if you want to check out our episode guides or any other resources regarding mental health, that is at cryingbehindpod.com. And then today, oh, I'm so excited about our guest today. Gabrielle Magid is the founder of Stronger Than Stigma, a nonprofit whose mission is to stop the stigma surrounding mental health and encourage millennials to seek help if they need it. Uh, You know, that's basically what I'm all about too. I just want to like talk about these things so that we don't have to feel like we're hiding in the shadows. Let's bring all this stuff out into the light. Let's chat about it, you know? And also, um, trigger warning on this episode, we do discuss, um, depression, anxiety, as well as suicide. So if that's not your jam, totally understand. Uh, you can go back to your podcast app of choice and pick a different episode to listen to. There are other ones, uh, that don't mention those things. So yeah. And, uh, we talk about our self-care Um, our hair and skincare, let me tell you, hair care and skincare is also self-care. So don't poo-poo it until you've tried it. (laughs) And her entire story also outside of all that, of the way that she built this nonprofit that's been going for seven years, 
in a grassroots kind of way, starting in college with her buddies. It's super inspiring. So yeah, please enjoy. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses. Uh, today, I am super excited about our guest. Her name is Gabrielle Magid. She is the founder of the nonprofit Stronger Than Stigma, and their whole goal is to get rid of the stigma surrounding mental health, especially for people who are millennials, to encourage them to seek help. And I think that's such a beautiful cause. Um, she's also just they celebrated their seven year anniversary, which is incredible. Yay. And they've done a lot of different events, including the Nobody's Happy Comedy Tour, which I'm hope when the world is open again, we'll be able to go to something like that. Uh, so hi, welcome, Gabs. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Katie. Yes, thank you for being here. Um, how, how are you feeling today? <sighs> Today's an okay day. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You start off um, waiting for what the stay in quarantine is going to bring you. You never know. It's a mixed bag, box of chocolates, <laughs> whatever they say. Yeah. Today's, today's okay. That's good. I love that you took a deep breath to really check in with yourself because I think sometimes you ask someone how they are and they're just like, I'm fine, without even actually checking in <laughs> to yeah. figure out how they feel. Um yeah, so I'm just, it's been really cool getting to know you during quarantine because, uh, fun fact, we've never actually met in person. <laughs> and uh, we met through your cousin when I started this podcast because he was like, oh, my cousin is doing this mental health nonprofit. The two of you should should link up. And it, um, we've been doing these weekly virtual uh, meetups every Monday night, which has been so cool. And I was just curious, like, how has that experience been for you? Like talking with people on Zoom every week from all over the country? I love it. I know that it's weird, maybe for some people when they're coming to their first one to maybe enter a Zoom room with strangers and talk about how they're feeling. But I think that everybody is starving for connection at this moment. And even if you have the best partner and, you know, friends that call you all the time, I think we're still like fundamentally lonely. And it's always nice to look out and see people on screen that just get it and that aren't going to judge you. And maybe the fact that you don't know them is healing because you're like, all right, I can just let it all hang out. And nobody, they don't know where I live. They don't know me. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I love the partnership and getting to know you and work with you has been a dream. So Oh, it's been great. <laughs> You're so sweet. I feel the same. I feel like this is just a mutual love fest. <laughs> um, I feel like we're we're kind of like anxiety sisters because that's definitely also yeah. a thing that I struggle with. So whenever I see you posting about that or raising more awareness about it, it makes me excited because I'm like, yep, that's that's me too. I understand. <laughs> and and I, you're so great at everything you do. And I find that I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm little miss overachiever. And I feel like you have a little bit of that in you as well. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like any of that is related or intertwined with your anxiety? A hundred percent. Like I'm, I'm struggling with it at the moment where we have this big birthday fundraiser running and we've never really done a grassroots push for donations before. And I don't know why, but I mean, I know why it's because I care and I, I want to see us succeed and all that, but it has just been super anxiety provoking because you're putting yourself out there. You know, you're asking people to say, 
I believe in you. Keep going. Congratulations. Wow. It's been seven years. Like I support you. And it's a small ask, which is the only reason that we're doing it. Cause like, these are the end times. <laughs> I don't know what people have or what they're able to share. And I am so grateful for everybody that topped on that, that donation train with us. But yeah, I guess my my need for everything to sound right and sound understanding and compassionate and all of the things that I want our brand to represent and I think that it has for seven years, like that comes out of here. <laughs> and when I'm a little like all over the place, I'm always like, does this sound like me? Is this okay? Am I doing it right? Like, is this us? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I definitely can relate. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, well, it's it's that perfectionism. And I think at some point, the kind of motto that I had to embrace is like, done is better than perfect. What a, wait, oh my God, I have that like tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, oh, you, that's, so that's, that works for you as well? Yeah, you know, I, I think, I can't remember now if it was my mom or my dad, but it came out of like a dinner conversation maybe a year or so ago where I was just taking on too much. Things were going really well, but my body, I guess, reacts to stress, whether it's happy stress or like sad stress, anxious stress, whatever it was in, in the same way. I'm just like not <laughs> all the time when, th- yeah. when things are like up and moving. And so, you know, it, it's been like, okay, take a deep breath. Done is better than perfect. You, I, I don't know about you, but my to-do lists are like, they don't fit on the screen. <laughs> they don't fit on the page. Oh, totally. Yeah. I actually started using a paper planner this year again, because I used to use them in high school. And I found that putting everything on my phone kind of wasn't working for me anymore. And I liked the freedom of being able to write it down. But what's kind of nice about having a paper planner that is a finite size is that once I fill up the little slot for that day or whatever. I'm like, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't put more things on the list if they literally don't even fit on this page. Mm, yes, that <laughs> resonates. <laughs> but I mean, easier said than done. I always, there is always a running to-do list. Uh, like anyone who knows me is always like, I, I like, I don't get bored because if I'm sitting there, there's always, there's always something, you know, when you're, when you're a woman on a mission, which you definitely yeah. are, there's, there's always something. Uh-huh. So for our listeners, I would love for them to hear about your story of how you, not only how you started the nonprofit, which is incredible and i hats off to you, but also like, how did you first understand that you were different or that you had some sort of mental health issue? Was it when you were really young or was it later on in life? Yeah. So I have started joking about it because I feel like that's the only way to cope (laughs) and to look back at my story and not want to cry anytime I tell it. But I, I joke that I think that I came out of the womb anxious. I always find it funny, too, when somebody will meet me for the first time. They're like, oh, I, I really like your energy. You have, like, this calming aura. And I'm like, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> I'm really good at keeping this nervous Nelly inside. But, yeah, no. So I, I think that it probably started in utero. And I didn't really know that it was a diagnosable issue and that was going to cause me I don't know, initially caused me problems when I was a teenager. It started for me when I was 17. Um, I think the anxiety reared its angry head first, and then it kind of just dropped me into depression, which is an experience that 
I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. I had no idea what was going on. You know, didn't even have the vocabulary really to understand and explain, hey, like I am just consumed by, you know, the the anxiety and the anxious thoughts to the point where like I can't really function. And then B, just this feeling of sitting in the black hole. Like I, I just, I was never prepped for this. Nobody ever spoke about anxiety and depression as like a medical issue. I had been told, you know, lighten up or, you know, take a chill pill or, hey, it's all going to work out fine. But nobody ever said to me, hey, if it doesn't go away after you get that A plus on that test and you move on to chapter two, that's that's a thing. Like we can talk about it. You're not the only one. I, I just thought it was all wrapped up in that overachieving mindset that we were talking about you know I just thought that this is what it's like to always get A's this is what it's like to strive for better and never be satisfied but at the same time those aren't things that help you sleep at night (laughs) it's great and then it's not so great no totally I mean you think about it it's interesting how our culture at least I think the culture that you and I grew up in because we're around the same age we're both millennials is like Um, Our parents really pushed us to achieve and a high value was placed on getting into the right school, getting the good grades, getting the right job instead of like, hey, I want to check in with you and make sure you're taking care of yourself, right? Like that wasn't really something that was discussed as much. Right. So you're right. Like when you're in that mindset, you're like, well, this is normal. Doesn't everyone just just panic every time before they have a test. Like that's totally normal. Right. Uh, (laughs) So, and then yet again, I would feel like the oddball, you know, I I knew, I knew that I was doing better than the kids in my class. (laughs) Like that wasn't a secret, you know, and people knew that I got A's and and I knew walking around the hallways that I was kind of just like white knuckled on every, like, Oh my God, I got it. I got to ace this. And and everybody else seemed to be having a good time. Was there a specific moment that you can remember like whether it was with a, with a friend or a partner or alone where you realize like, okay, I need to get help. I can tell you about the day. Basically, I had, I, did you have AP US history? We called it A-Push back in the day. Oh, that's um, funny. Uh, I did take AP US history. I was not hip to the lingo though. So like if someone was like A-Push, I'd be like, yeah, push it, push it. It might've made it more fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> a dreaded DBQ. I talk about that anytime I go to talk to like high school students or, or like freshmen in college or whatever, I'm always like, can we just discuss how much I hate the DBQ? I mean, Wait, what's like, a DBQ? The database question. Ah, they were the worst. You would, you would go in and it was a prompt, an essay prompt, and they would give you like primary sources. They wanted you to really base it around that and reference that, quote that in into your essay. Yeah. And also drop casual knowledge about the Revolutionary War or whatever also to support your claims about what you're arguing about in the primary source. It was it was modern day torture. I, I, I feel for every high school student that's currently taking a DBQ right now. <laughs> so I think... Honestly, if I'm going back and I'm analyzing what happened that day, that this was my first panic attack on record because I, you know, I was starting to freak out within the DBQ, but it wasn't until I switched classes was in the next period where I was having like another test situation. I was writing, I needed to write an essay in my AP English class and 
Katie, I swear to you, I got the prompt. I was looking at it. I had paper in front of me. I had my pen. My words, my brain couldn't think of words. Like I completely blank. My body was hot. I was sweaty. I was flushed. My heart was just like pounding out of my chest. I couldn't focus. I couldn't concentrate. I thought I was dying, <laughs> which oh, I think no. is like a, you know, now, now that you and I are studying the body and the brain and all the things that can happen to you, apparently that's not common to either think that you're having a heart attack or that you're dying. And I just completely panicked. I lost it. And I, it was a substitute. You know, she didn't know me well. I was like, I need to go to the infirmary. And to any other person, this may have been like, oh yeah, I need to get out of taking this test right now. But I was just, I think you could tell I was just like stricken. And she agreed to let me go. And I sat in the nurse's office and she was like, you know what? It's okay, hon. You just need a mental health day. And those words now are like burned in my brain because, yeah, I needed a mental health day. I needed a break from just <laughs> the grind. I so think. was it like a relief to hear that from the nurse? Like, or? No, because I thought, you know, my immediate instinct was, well, all my classmates can handle this. What's wrong with me? What, you know, I'm weak. I am, I'm a weakling. I'm, I'm, I'm a wimp. Why am I not in there? Like, I am just faking it. All of these things that I thought that the substitute or my, my classmates might be thinking about me was literally what my brain was saying to me. And I felt guilty calling my mom to pick me up from school. You know, that was like a, that's a fourth grader's trick. Oh, mom, I have a tummy ache. <laughs> like, please come help. Yeah. Well, no, but you had like a legit thing. I think also, when you're a teenager and like an authority figure tries to tell you that they know better than you or they try to give you advice, the instinct is always to rebel. Like, oh, you don't know me. You don't know that I need a mental health day. Like, I'm a know-it-all teenager. I'm fine, right? Yeah, but I do <laughs> stigmatize. Like, I, you would have told me the words mental health or mental illness and I would have been just like all the people that I'm trying to, to talk to now and bring awareness to where I would have been like, you know, reflex. I'm not crazy. I'm fine. I have my mm -hmm. shit together. Like I can, I can handle things. I'm normal. <laughs> what is normal anyway, honestly? And like the whole, the word, the, using the word crazy is so dismissive and so just, I don't know what the right word is for it, but it's very othering, I guess. Yeah. Would be the right word because yeah. I mean, growing up, I grew up with my brother has autism, and I remember very distinctly there was a girl who I was friends with when I was a little kid. And, you know, little kids are mean, especially if, if they've never met someone who's different from them, they don't know any better than to just kind of point and laugh, you know? Yeah, so I would protect him a lot as a kid. But I remember she came over for a play date one time and she was like, Well, your brother's crazy, and I don't know, da 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 da. And I remember. I was so mad and I was like, he's not crazy. He has a disability. How dare you? And then I told my mom, I was like, she's never allowed to come over here again. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't tolerate that. Or, or like as a kid, I really had this instinct to protect him. And little did I know that as an adult, I would be dealing with my own stuff as well with anxiety and panic disorder and whatever. And if someone ever were to dismiss dismiss my issues in that same way. I mean, it would it would piss me off. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think it's kind of cool too, like your story about learning in a way to defend your brother from the judgment of you know other basically other people's opinions and their judgment or whatever they were saying about him is so much easier 
to care for, to advocate for, to love someone else. We wouldn't talk that way to our friends, basically. But the things that I say to myself in my head, or the things that I'm sure that your brain says to you, Katie, it's just completely opposite. You wouldn't tolerate anybody anybody talking to you the way that your brain does. Absolutely. No, of course. I mean, even yesterday when we were texting before the interview and you're like, hey, do I need to get cute for this? I was like, girl, you always look gorgeous to me, you know, (laughs) but like in your brain, you're like, oh, I got to primp. I got to do this. I got to do this. You know, Uh, so it is, it's, we are always our own worst critic and we're always looking at ourselves through this different lens that others are often not judging us as harshly as we judge ourselves. So yeah, yeah, I understand that. I'm really Um, glad I washed my hair for this, by the way. It it looks great. I mean, you've (laughs) listen, so this is a podcast. So obviously, I don't know if we're going to use this video part to promo it. But if you if you can imagine just some gorgeous reddish brownish ringlet (laughs) curls that are just like the perfect amount of shiny. That's what I'm experiencing right now. Oh, the perfect <laughs> amount of shiny. That's a curly hair girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your hair's great. I, I also have the Jewish hair gene, but not as intensely as you. It's kind of been bred, bred out of me. So I have like a weird frizzy wavy hair situation going on, but you've got like the full on ringlets. And I have a lot of other friends that have hair like that. And I feel like it's, there's always a journey to be able to learn how to take care of that kind of hair. Oh, <laughs> you want to talk about a journey? <laughs> I can tell you about <laughs> brushing it out and looking like Bozo the Clown for, oh, all through preschool, all these old pictures of me have surfaced. And I'm just like, how did you let me leave the house, mom? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, I feel like uh, I know we're. You, you might think we're getting off topic, but for me, especially during quarantine, doing like really intense skincare and hair care has been like my self care. It's very soothing for me <laughs> to just do like, oh, I've got my oil cleanser. I've got my foam cleanser. I'm doing my toner. I'm doing my serum. Like I do all that. Like at least once a week, I'll have kind of a spa day for myself at home. And it just makes me so happy. Yes, it's a thing. You got to do it, right? They joke about self-care. And I I have this whole thing about like self-care is not just a bubble bath. (laughs) But at the same time, Epsom salts in the bathtub, I honestly, you could just leave me in there for days and I would be fine. Like that's my (laughs) my thing. (laughs) Until you start just taking on water. (laughs) Hey, sunnies. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know my main purpose here is to help you live a happier, healthier, more balanced life. So, you know, if you want to get in shape, you work out your body. But what if you need to get your brain in shape? You need to get rid of those negative thoughts that make it difficult to get out of bed in the morning or are stopping you from getting things done. Well, I would say other than meditation or exercise, a huge thing that has really helped me is therapy. And I am so happy to share that BetterHelp is now a sponsor of Crying Behind Sunglasses. So what is BetterHelp? Basically, it is a great place to seek online counseling. It's not a crisis hotline. It's not some self-help mumble jumbo bullshit. It is real therapists that are offering real advice in real time. So special offer that I got for my sonnies. I can get you 10% off your first month if you go to betterhelp.com 
slash pod. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You'll get to feel better and you'll help this podcast keep going at the same time. It'll just be a whole circle of everybody feeling good. And don't worry if you feel like you can't afford it. Uh, they have financial aid options available and it's on a sliding scale. So yeah, definitely check it out. Betterhelp.com slash cryingbehindpod. Hey, Sunnies. I know a lot of you out there like me. You might be an actor or an artist or some other kind of creative in the entertainment industry and you're trying to figure out what's my next move? How can I not just tread water during this crazy time, but actually start to flourish, right? How can we thrive instead of just surviving? And something I found that's really helped me is thrivingactor.com. So Thriving Actor is not only a website, but also a free Facebook group. And they have plenty of resources that will help you get started. Even in the middle of a pandemic, there is still a lot that you can do for your acting career, networking, branding, building up your side hustle to support your dreams, honing your self-tape game. I mean, the list goes on. Uh, This site, I'm really happy to partner with them because it started by my friend Jordan Ansel. He's an award-winning filmmaker and producer with four different shows that are slated to shoot in 2021. And he's also just a really brilliant coach. He's been a great cheerleader for me. He helped me start this podcast. So let him help you. Check out thrivingactor.com. So, um, what's your what's your background then? Let's see, ancestry. I'm pretty straight Ashkenazi. I Poland, Russia. We have some French Egyptian in there. So usually when I mention that, people are like, oh, that's that must be what it is. But they were French. They were just living in Egypt. So I don't know what uh, yeah. happened in this gene pool. <laughs> I also don't know what happened in mine. I think when I did my Ancestry.com, I was like 48% Ashkenazi Jew. And then they just put like a cloud over the entire continent of Europe for the rest of it. And I was like, well, that's not helpful. It's so <laughs> funny. I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine who said she wishes she could get her money back. Whatever. She's like, I could have told you that I was Ashkenazi Jewish. I didn't need, you know, my, my swab to, to confirm it. <laughs> yeah, I... I, the reason I brought that up is because I remember you told me that a lot of the people who you originally started Stronger Than Stigma with, y'all had met on a Birthright Israel trip. Yeah. So basically, if we're fast forwarding from that original panic attack in high school, you know, I'm, I obviously things got a lot worse before they got better. I'm in the, the dark hole of depression, whatnot, therapy, psychiatry, all, all the good stuff, deep breathing when I could remember to do it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but got to college. That was the first time that I really owned my story. I, it was the first time that I went to an anxiety and depression support group. I met other people that were my age that were struggling with some of the same things as me. And it was the first time that I felt like I could be me in public and I could share what I was going through, what I had been, my past didn't define me. Like I was just starting to feel empowered by recognizing I had been through health. And from the minute I stepped on campus, I was involved with the Disability Resource Center and taking advantage of their anxiety and depression support group. And I loved it and I ate it up and they should have just given me a badge and had me walk around recruiting people because that's kind of what I did unofficially. So you're, wait, you were just like walking around campus being like, 
hey, hey guys, uh, does any, is anybody feeling weird? Anyone feeling sad? Like you want to come join? Like how, how do you, how are you recruiting people? Come on, we have cookies. No, <laughs> um, no, I, I, it was just, it's so funny. Like when you start to talk about your own story or just recognize patterns based on, honestly, I've been in enough therapy now where if somebody says, certain words or a like a phrase I'm like that's a thing like I've said that before <laughs> I was in a rough place but you come <laughs> um, um yeah no I just feel like the more open you are with your own story people naturally gravitate towards that openness because a lot of times people are struggling with things that they're ashamed of or that they think that they shouldn't be telling other humans and so if you Give them, you know, just a glimpse into the fact that you're not perfect and flawless all the time, even though that's the image that we all need to project or feel that we do historically. They'll tell you something, too. And you end up in this really cool heart to heart where somebody's sharing something. A lot of I've been a witness to so many conversations where somebody will just blurble something out and then say to me, I've never said that to anyone before. Like, thank you for listening, or I'm so glad that I shared what, you know, whatever it is, I've had so many cool, I've been witness to so many cool aha moments for people over these last seven years. So yeah, I would, I would meet people in class in the normal student routine. If we got to talking and bonding around doing homework, whatever it was, however, I met people in the dining hall, I really liked the dining hall. That was a social experience for me. If, if I was having a heart to heart with somebody and they were talking about stress or anxiety or worries or you know a lot of times friends would come to me like saying oh I'm really stressed about my boyfriend I think we need to break up all this stuff and then you would listen and the conversation was like just being on loop that they were obsessing over the boyfriend thing but they weren't telling you all the other things that were going on in, in their life my ear was was tuned for that and so if they kept repeating it and if I was like oh my god this person is ruminating that's a symptom. Let's get ahead of this. Come. Yeah, you know, it's fun over there. You can hang. I look cool, right? Come on, let's chat. So yeah, that kind of became, I guess, my calling on campus. Then my second semester, there was this really public suicide. And it shook me to my core. I, I like I, I tell the story for some reason my my friend had parked her car like out past the stadium and so the night that he jumped off the stadium we were walking by to go get this car we were you know the buddy rule at night wait so was this so the person who um committed suicide is that someone that you knew or just someone in the no. it just happened on campus yeah no and that's what was so infuriating to me I, the fact that I didn't know this student that he wasn't part of the anxiety and depression support groups that you know I was walking around waving the flag for I was like how could it be that this person didn't know that there were free resources accessible to you as a student or did he know that they were there and he was just too ashamed or embarrassed to admit that he needed some help and to reach out for it. And both of those things anger me because I'm like, why on earth would anybody feel that what they have going on is shameful or that it's not part of the human experience or that it's not, or it makes them feel that 
they've failed as a human. And I have had those thoughts and feelings myself. So I, I understand what it's like to have to argue back with those demons that are telling you things that are awful. But at the same time, why is it that our campus culture kept people quiet to the point where he felt like he had no other option than suicide? I was mad. And, and that's really what got me thinking about, okay, how can I fix this culture? Because uh, if, it's, if it's this way on our campus, then it's, you know, the magnitude of the problem is global in scale. And this is just like a little microcosm where we're mimicking everything. And, and U.S. was where I was. And there's a huge Greek culture and everybody's just trying to fit in. And I was like, well, if, if th those things were new at one point, people had to be convinced that what they were doing was cool. Let's attack mental health the same way. There's a PR problem because people think that it's not cool. They don't want to reach out for help. Let's change this narrative. Let's make it something where we advertise all of these cool resources and we encourage people to reach out for help. And in 2013, Catherine Zeta-Jones was my idol in this. She, I don't know if you remember, but she was outed for seeking treatment at some residential facility for bipolar 2, the depressive part of bipolar 2. Um, so she was, uh -huh. she was there taking care of herself and some jerk in her like therapy class got out and then say, Hey, guess what? I was in there with Catherine Zeta-Jones. And so she could have brushed it under the rug and said, Oh, you know, I went to visit some uncle, you know, and then during visitation hours or what she did, which I thought was just so powerful was she owned it. And she said, yeah, this, I have this thing. It doesn't stop me from doing or being or producing anything, anything amazing that I've done. But at the same time, I know that I need tools to help me cope. And I went to do that. And I, and I, that, that's what I want for anybody in that situation. And she was just so calm uh, yeah. and collected about it. And I know I watched an interview, you know, where she later was like, I didn't mean to become the face of bipolar. Like clearly she wasn't happy about it. She didn't, she didn't want that attention necessarily, but she rose to the occasion. No, no one wants that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, everyone wants to be like Catherine Zeta-Jones. She's still so sexy, so beautiful, so talented, regardless of how old she gets. She's like a fine wine. So someone like her standing up and like you said, she was kind of pushed into it. It wasn't really her choice to become the poster child for this thing. But the more and more people that you admire that come out and say, Hey, I've also got a problem. It makes it okay. Right. And that's what I've noticed uh, when you said that your whole mission is to make mental health, like a cool thing to talk about and talking about these resources being cool. I feel like you and I are kind of a similar mission where I'm just like, yeah, let's just, let's destigmatize this. Let's talk about it. Let's laugh about it because if you can laugh yeah. about it, then it doesn't have power over you. It's done. You know, uh, but if you're just going to cry in a corner, which is also a valid reaction, but that's like when you're in the fear and that's when you're in the shit, you know, right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to pull people out. Right. And I think <laughs> you and I would agree crying in a corner. Fine. Don't feel like you have to cry in the corner by yourself. You can cry. You can have a crying party. I did. I want people to know that they're not by themselves in that struggle, that they don't have to be ashamed and pick a corner. They can pick a whole room if they want to. That's the freedom that I want for other people. <laughs> I love this. A crying party. If you were going to throw a <laughs> crying party, like if I showed up, what would there be? I know we're not allowed to throw parties right now, but like when we are, if I come out. <laughs> we, we, we would be outdoors. <laughs> no. Um, 
man, this would be hard because I feel like we, we try and be peppy, right? So do we throw like an old school 90s emo night, like goth vibes? Or do we go? Oh, like- yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could, I, I think that it would probably be a little bit more mellow. It wouldn't be peppy. There'd be like, it would be kind of dimly lit so that nobody can see your mascara running, you know, yeah. and, and we would maybe play a lot of just come up with a Spotify playlist of every song that might make someone cry. I mean, for me, uh, Landslide by Fleetwood Mac, definitely. <laughs> uh, that one always gets me. Or Someone Like You from Adele. Every yeah. time I hear I was that, I'm say, just... We should just play Adele on loop. <laughs> Light some candles. <laughs> she, she makes it feel like it's, it's, it's okay to just let it out. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I, trying to hit some of those notes would make me crash. Too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, maybe in the future when you're able to reboot any sort of live events in person, you know, we can get into that. Or who knows? I mean, maybe this because uh, we've been doing that weekly virtual Zoom call and talking to people. Maybe we'll have one where it's like, hey, so this Monday it's just going to be a crying party. We're all going to awkwardly get on Zoom and cry together. <laughs> Feel free to turn off your video. <laughs> If it feels too intimate. I think I need that, Katie. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) Okay. Hey, maybe maybe we'll make it happen. (laughs) Yeah, I like that you have a sense of humor. And I would love to hear more about your time because another thing that we connected on is not only that you have this mental health nonprofit, but you also came from a theater background. You did improv in Chicago at Improv Improv Olympic at I.O.? Yes. Yeah, back when I.O. was alive and well. <laughs> back when it was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how was that experience for you? I feel like a lot of people who are gravitating towards theater and comedy and the arts, it could be a really great outlet for whatever it is that you're going through. Yeah, I I love my improv community. I do it locally in Jacksonville. Improv has been a part of my life the last decade, honestly, I started towards the end of high school and then in college got really involved with the improv troupe on campus. And then it's carried me into my adult life. I just, I love the openness. I love the fostering of risk taking because I'm not necessarily like that in my day-to-day life. Sometimes, yes, but on stage, anything goes. And the idea of, I have your back being the central tenant. I wish life was like that. Maybe that's what we're striving for, honestly, <laughs> with all the mental yeah. health stuff. You know, why don't why isn't it like that everywhere? Yeah, well, it, it it is really beautiful when yeah, before you go on stage, you all look each other in the eye and every single teammate you go, "I got your back. I got your back. I got your back." And yeah, that is a beautiful idea of like why isn't society a little bit more like that? People tend to be only looking out for themselves, right? But on an improv team, you can't do that. If you're, you might as well just do stand up <laughs> or right. just go be by yourself. <laughs> that performance style is not celebrated because you're not there to make any one person look good. It's what can we do to support the team? And if you're out for yourself or you're going out for, you know, oh, I've, I've got a line, I've got a line that needs to get said. It, it, it comes off. You don't. You don't like that vibe. You've been in that situation. Nobody likes that guy. <laughs> Sometimes when they, if someone first steps out from the back line and they have this brilliant character they've been working on, they really want to do it. Like they'll get laughs to begin with, but then if they keep going and they're not really listening to the people around them, I find that that's when the team and the audience kind of turns and is like, mm, 
that's not really what this is about. This is a team sport. <laughs> right. And the listening is key. Just saying, I, I find so many parallels, honestly. I really do. And that's why a lot of our, like, our branding and our ethos really comes back to comedy. You know, we created this workshop that we teach uh, called How to Be a Feelings Ninja, where we're, we're using improv techniques and games to teach students coping skills because they can play a game and then we can, you know, make it a metaphor afterwards and tell them like, listen, look what you just did. This is going to happen in your real life. And this is how you can handle it. Just pretend you're throwing, you know, a red ball or a ham sandwich or, you know, whatever those things are in that game. And it, it sits better. It's less scary if it's couched in fun. And I like that. I like that vibe. Yeah, because you're just playing make-believe. I mean, so what does it mean to be a feelings ninja? Like what? what you have to come. I just, I just want to know what that means. I want to be, I want to be a feelings ninja. Right. Yeah. No. So um, in my mind, a feelings ninja recognizes that feelings are valid and okay and has the tools to cope with them. And it's just part of daily life. They're not ashamed. They're not embarrassed. They feel in control and they recognize it's a feeling it's going to pass. That's a feelings ninja. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So it's kind of like being a Jedi where you're just like, you're using the force. Yeah, totally. Totally. That makes sense. That's great. I love it. So now with uh stronger than stigma, you guys have made a really seamless pivot to doing everything online during isolation. And can you tell me more about, what you guys have been up to lately? Yeah. So let's see. A little over a year ago now, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. For May 2019, we created the first ever pop-up shop around mental health awareness. So the idea being we want all of the hype and the cool kid factor of a Nike shoe drop in New York City for the month around mental health. We called it The Living Room. And it was part interactive art installation, part performance venue, and then part like literal living room with couches and chairs. And all of this was meant to spark dialogue among strangers. We call it real talk around mental health. So just comfortability, getting to know people on a deeper level. Performance has always been central to the way that we create community and bring people together. We find that it's very cathartic for the people on the stage and then also for the people in the audience to really just be looking around to their left and right and recognizing, man, everybody was drawn here for some purpose. Everybody's either been through something or they love somebody who's going through something and just feeling that, that vibe and that connection in the room. And I obviously am partial to comedy. It's my background. I think that laughter is universal. And just as you said, if you can make somebody laugh about something, you take away the power behind it. But it also is a unifying force. More Jedi things, space fields, whatever. We've never had that kind of structure. We We had a brick and mortar place to be and to host our comedy shows, uh, like you were talking about our Nobody's Happy comedy tour where I toured with Josh Novi and Brittany Brave up and down the East Coast. See, it was 12 shows in six states in 25 days back in 2018. And that was our first time stepping out of Jacksonville and and raising awareness and some fun. <laughs> um, That's a lot of dates. Yeah. That's so many shows in such a short amount of time. 
That's amazing. Yeah. And it was like nothing that I've ever done before. I've dreamed, obviously, improv is more of my background, but my friend that I met doing improv in college, you know, he's gone on to pursue stand up professionally. And he's like, I will do this with you, but you have to open for me. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> it was really fun. And it allowed us to connect to our audience. Our audience really responds well to memes more so than fortune cookie inspirational quotes our, our audience likes to laugh and to recognize like oh my god I've so been in, in those shoes so it was, it was fun to produce things like that you know whether it was the living room giving giving it a space to happen or on the road where we were creating a vibe and traveling with it and bringing it everywhere that we went so super super excited but pivoting was a thing that we had to do in, in the pandemic so yeah so basically we had plans to do the living room again in Jacksonville this May and that clearly wasn't going to be able to happen so we just said okay well part of the living room was this aggressive social programming that we did where you know every day had something else to bring people together to create community around mental health we we're like great let's get a zoom subscription let's figure out how to live stream on Facebook and whatnot, Instagram we did too, and we'll host everything on the internet. And so it turned into, we called it a 31-day virtual event marathon. We ended up hosting 49 events throughout the month of May, from unmeetups to stress management journaling workshops to panel discussions on masculinity and mental health, all of these different topics that we would love to have gathered people in, in person to have. but Honestly, our reach was global and we were able to have speakers from around the world, which was awesome and really helped us solidify the fact that our community could go digital and that it was able to support people in quarantine and that people need it now more than ever. So there were some growing pains along the way, but I, I definitely feel comfortable and confident in our ability to create these meaningful experiences via Zoom or online. And I, I think that's the best that anybody can do right now in connecting. And I think that there's a huge opportunity to do that. People want to feel connected. So it's not, you can't really be in the mental health space right now and be like, oh yeah, we're going to wait until things open back up. No. People need you now. Yeah. That was this thing that I thought about too, because I had the idea to do this podcast over a year ago and my new year's resolution this year was like, okay, yeah, I'll record some episodes. I'll launch by June, whatever. And then when COVID hit, suddenly like, okay, well, all the interviews have to be remote. Got to figure that out. And then also it felt like there is such a sense of urgency where a lot of people who weren't struggling before are now maybe for the first time having to sit with their thoughts in their house and kind of figure out how to take care of their mental health. Like, so it feels like, okay, I just so happen to be interested in something that a lot of people are now discovering for the first time. I got to get out there and do this. It feels meaningful. And I don't know about you. I think I can tell when you talk about what you do, it seems like you're really light up and it gives you a big sense of purpose to wake up every day and feel like you're making a difference in people's lives. Yeah. Honestly, it's it's been a gift to to have this platform kind of ready to to go so that it could just, you know, start supporting in the blink of an eye. I shouldn't say start, but start online. I think this is a really cool time for mental health in a way Obviously, it sucks that we're in the middle of a global pandemic that could have been avoided, yada, yada. 
But at the same time, it's the first time that all of humanity is experiencing a shared traumatic experience. So whereas if I was struggling with anxiety or depression and felt the need to isolate beforehand, I like you call it the before time. Yeah. So if I was if I was isolating in the before time, FOMO was a thing. Like I knew that the world was going to carry on without me, and and life was happening outside of my four walls. Now there is no FOMO. Nobody's doing anything, but you know, isolating themselves like a true patriot. <laughs> we're we're all having this experience at the same time, and so there's no longer any shame around saying like, Hey, I had a really hard time getting out of bed today. I had, there are dishes stacked in the sink. Like I, I skipped showering, whatever it is that people do when they're not feeling well, or I should say don't do when they're not feeling well. Everybody has had moments like this. It's been, you know, over six months. Yeah, no, it has been. I mean, it's definitely different than anybody, anything any of us have experienced. Although I would say there have been other events during my lifetime that have felt like, okay, everyone's going through the same thing at the same time. Like when 9-11 happened, you know, it's like everyone remembers where they were when they found out about that. And I think the whole country was really going through a period of mourning and obviously a lot of difficulty for months after that, if not years. Uh, So I feel like there have been other times, but the difference with this is that regardless of whether or not you've been directly affected by the actual disease of COVID, every single person is affected by the fact that like, we just aren't allowed to see each other anymore, you know? Right. And it's all these regulations and all these different things that we're dealing with, but having that collective experience and going through this collective tragedy together, it does force us to find new ways to connect. And that's something that I think is really beautiful. So I'm glad that you're contributing to all of that. And Before we go, I wanted to ask you, I have a little thing I like to call like hot tips, hot tips, hot tips. Uh, So if, if you have a bad day, like for some reason you're like me and your, your zoom is having technical issues or (laughs) you, you, you try, you try to pitch a new idea to your, to your board of your nonprofit. And they're like, no, no Gabs, that's, that's crazy. I don't want that. Uh, <laughs> you, you come home and you're, you're feeling bad. How do you put yourself back in a good mood? Is that a song, a pet, a food item, a plant? Is there, is there something that you do, like an activity to put yourself in a good mood? I have found that I cannot power through that mood or that shift or anxiety or whatever it is that I'm dealing with, I will try really hard to just like keep it at bay and like, all right, I have the to-do list. I have stuff to do. I can't stop. I really have recognized now that I have to acknowledge that I'm in a funk and deal with it. Like do the things I told you, I love, I love a good Epsom salt bath. Like if I had my choice, I would soak if I could go out and take a walk around the block, I sound like an 85, but I love walking around the neighborhood and getting fresh air, I think is huge. And sometimes it's even just calling somebody and telling them that I'm not doing so great that day. Or, you know, hey, I'd love to talk to you and hear your voice and just acknowledging, not trying to pretend that things are fine. Yeah, so just like, don't pretend things are great. Just 
like accept it, feel it. And then after you felt it, then you can get into your to-do list or whatever it is. Yeah. And I always try, I think of things in terms of, I guess the chunk of the day. So if I can make it through a day till about like dinner time, then I know, all right, all I got to do is put food in my mouth, you know, take a shower and go to bed. And then I get a brand new day tomorrow, you know, obviously God willing, <laughs> but I get an, I got a blank start and, and tomorrow things are always better in the morning. And that's just how I like have to picture things of, all right, I can make it through. Can I make it through till lunch? Can I make it through till dinner? As, ma- as many things to, to, to just simplify and be like, all right, I've done all that I can do for the day. That's good enough. We'll see what happens tomorrow. That's a great attitude to have. And actually, I really like, this is something that I learned when I was a little kid, because I would kind of have an overactive brain and have a lot of different things I wanted to accomplish, even as a child. And there was some guidance counselor who was really great. And she was like, okay, Katie, you're going to write out all the hours of the day. You know, you're going to write out the things you need to do. And then you need to like next to that thing, say like an estimate of how long it's going to take. And then that would make it a lot easier for me to plan things. So (laughs) I saw you make a face when I said trying to make a schedule. Is that weird for you? I wish I had that superpower. I consider that a superpower, Katie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't always stick to it. But if I'm if there's a day where I'm on a deadline and I have no choice and I have to get a lot of things done, I'll be like, okay, well, editing this video is going to take two hours. Writing the episode guide, that's going to take me an hour. Doing this, this, this. So I just kind of like plug it in. And then I'm like, okay, well, those that's this many hours. And I only have between 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. to do it. So yeah, better now, get on it. <laughs> I'm constantly surprised by how much longer it takes me to do things than I originally thought. And I am constantly pissing off my partner, my parents, whoever it is. It's like trying to shoot me out of the house. Like, come on, we have plans. Uh, <laughs> good luck. Basically, I don't. <laughs> I'm more, uh, you know. Oh, we'll go with the flow. The afternoon, it'll happen. I, I'm, I'm the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard to estimate like how long things I, I just what I learned a long time ago is like everything takes longer than you think it will like take that uh, guesstimate of time and just multiply it by at least two. And then that's a little easier to deal with. Um, I should do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show today. And I've been really enjoying our weekly Zoom calls. It's been really great. If you're listening to this in September of 2020, we're still doing them. I don't know how long we'll be going on for, but we have all the info on our social media and also on Stronger Than Stigma's social media. Uh, and they're celebrating seven years. So definitely a great time to get involved either in their events or by donating so that she can keep spreading the good word. I love what you're doing. Thank you so much. And I love what you're doing. This is this is so cool. <laughs> Giving more airtime to things that, that matter. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. Well, I, I, I just like hearing other people's stories. I think it, it helps me to feel less weird. And I hope for other people out there, it does the same. So yeah. Do you have any last nuggets of wisdom or words of encouragement for anybody out there who might be struggling right now? Yeah. I guess the thing that I would say acknowledging that I'm really, really, really good at giving advice and not so great at taking it is just giving yourself 
faith and some grace during this time because I think that we're all struggling in some way or, or another right now. It's, just, it's it's a weird time and have patience with yourself. Recognize that it'll pass everything. I had a teacher once that uh, taught me like this too shall pass and it didn't hit well, <laughs> Yeah, but it got me through some hard times. So I, I have to figure out a cooler way to make, to say it, but just recognizing that we're going to get through this. You're okay. You're not the only one. And if you're having a day where you're not okay, that's okay too. I love it. It's okay to not be okay. Well, thank you so much, Gabrielle. And if people want to find you on social media, where should they go? Yes, that'd be awesome. Our Facebook and Instagram handles are at Stronger Than Sigma. And then Twitter is at STS underscore together. We also have a website. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The website, strongerthanstigma.org. Yeah. Cool. I said that was such a question mark. I was like, I hope this is correct. Cool. Totally. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yay. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Gabs has been such a great supporter of this podcast, and I really believe in what she's doing with Stronger Than Stigma. So yeah, it's really cool to see the reasons that she started that nonprofit and how she got to where she is today. And I would highly recommend checking out her TEDx talk, which I will put in the episode guide on cryingbehindpod.com, along with all the other details of anything else that we might have talked about today. As always, I've been your host, Katie Dahl, and I will continue to be that person for a while. And you can check me out at Katie Dahl on all the things. We are also at Crying Behind Pod on Instagram, etc. So yeah, please subscribe and leave us a review, rate, or share this with a friend who might enjoy it. Or don't. Live your life, honestly. Next time you're sad, just throw on your sunglasses, take a walk outside, and remember, stay cool, stay present, stay sunny.